the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Pastor Alistair Big on the program tonight. More information on the web about the broadcast and ministry at truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. The broadcast weekday mornings at 730 right here on KFAX. You know, we hear these days, Alistair, uh, churches that have huge crowds and folks that will get up in the platforms, uh, on the pulpit rather, and will share uh, platitudes and nice stories and things of this sort. It seems, though, that on an ever-increasing basis, preaching about the blood of Christ, the atonement, preaching about the need to count the cost of what it truly needs to, means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is something that is that seems to be glaringly absent. Well, yes. I, you know, I think... Um it's always dangerous to generalize, and I know you understand that too. Um, yeah, I think we've gone through a real, a, a real period of time in which, you know, that idea of the way to make sure that we don't offend anybody is to uh, dilute things to the point of uh, pretty well tastelessness. And, um, you know, when um, the old uh, Scottish theologian spoke to the Yale Divinity students, uh, uh, James Stewart, in, in 1952, uh, he warned them, 52, which is 61 years ago, about what he referred to as a, a, a theologically vague and harmlessly accommodating kind of Christianity, which he said was absolutely useless. Mm. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing the evidences of that now. And one of the one of the encouraging things for me as somebody who's now moved into, you know, um, my 60s is to see how many young men, though, are coming through in uh, various places in the country, and who have really fastened on to the idea that uh, if we're going to take seriously what it means that Jesus is Lord, then we have no right to tamper with or to dilute or to try and redefine the claims of Jesus, but we must just state them as they are. And of course, to fail to do so really uh, sort of strips the gospel of its life-changing power, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. I mean, the me- I mean, in, in first century Corinth, Paul knew that, uh, you know, if he gave the people what they wanted to to receive, whether it was the Jew or the Greek, then they would receive him with open arms. Uh, But the one thing that uh, that they were unprepared for is, um, you know, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. There certainly seems to be, as we look at society today, uh, Western culture, there still seems to be a desire and interest in spiritual things. I, I think that sense of, of man's deep, innate longing uh, to be connected with God is there. We just, on an ever-increasing basis, don't know how to define it, and we head out to many false sources to try and address it or satisfy it, be it through pagan religion or the occult or whatever the case might be. Um, and and yet, so we see still a strong hunger, a strong spiritual desire, but it seems as if fewer people are really turning to Christianity, perhaps because we're not sharing the message with the kind of clarity and relevance that is needed to pierce people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and and present a gospel that people can look at and say, wow, there's real power behind this. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's really helpful, Craig. I, you know, we have an Australian friend who visits here, you know, every few years. And I remember the last time he was here, he made a comment concerning, you know, sort of American Christianity. And, of course, we want to be as guarded with Australians as we should be with Scotsmen. But uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, he said that he, he, he sensed a tone in American Christianity which was, which was a tone of admonition rather than a tone of mission. So that mm. we were going to the culture to admonish them for everything that was wrong, uh, you know, in their belief system and in their expressions of their understandings. And I think it is an important thing to realize that uh, Jesus never, ever, um, he never deviated from the clarity of his message. And yet the way in which he approached Zacchaeus or the way in which he approached the woman at the well, you know, is is a masterful illustration to us of the way in which uh, we ought to be prepared to to speak to people on the on the troubled seas of life. Have we missed the mark then to a great degree in the sense, Alistair, that I think of the the wave of evangelicalism uh, getting involved in the body politic in a significant fashion, first in the late 1970s and, and certainly in through the decade of the 1980s and into the 90s, not to suggest at all before listeners flood the phone lines here and I get in trouble, that, that we don't have an obligation as believers to vote and be involved in this business of self-governance. I believe that we do. And yet, oftentimes, it seemed as if there was a time in which we exchanged our involvement in the body politic for the realization that if we're going to change the world, we have to change hearts. You really can't affect change of heart by making political change. Yes, things and work needs to be done. Certainly the evidence of the um, uh, what's been coming out of Washington, D.C. in the last couple of days proves that. Yet at the end of the day, the real power is the, is the changed heart. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we do want to make sure that, that each of us are seizing the privileges and responsibilities of living in a democracy like this and making our voice heard and standing up for, uh, you know, moral rectitude and for, for biblical values and so on. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably too soon to make these determinations, and I'm also fearful of overstepping my bounds here. But if you think back to... Well, I've been here three decades, so I get here right around the time I think that the moral majority and uh, and that whole movement is you know is is coming to the fore and doing what it's done and you know it's gone all the way around. But you know, I think we have to say that actually it really hasn't achieved its objectives. Mm. It's been it's it's been unable to to do this. I mean, we we're we're talking now. Uh, the day after the Supreme Court, you know, passes down what is it certainly couldn't be any any anything other than um, uh, a testimony to to immorality and to the the the, um, the the very reverse of the things that were angled for and labored for. And I, I actually am quite excited about it, though, Craig. I I'm not uh, despondent. I'm not wringing my hands. I I think that. There are certain things that are bad for our country that may well prove to be good for the church. Mm. If we if we recognize that, uh, as we must, that God is sovereign over these things, that he is the one who sets people up and he is the one who brings them down. Um, he doesn't do that in a vacuum, and therefore our voice must be heard. But we have to recognize, too, that, you know, our view of the world is is a much larger, vaster conception of what is going on. We're actually affirming the fact that Jesus Christ is not only a resurrected uh, Savior, but he is an ascended king, that he rules over the cosmos. 
and that the providence of God is such that nothing happens except through him and by his will. That's basic biblical Christianity, which, of course, challenges a worldview that is deistic or pantheistic, uh, which, of course, is, you know, uh, both both perspectives are prevalent in, in our contemporary society. So that really takes us back then to the centrality of his lordship, and maybe time, as you point out, for some introspection of the church, as much as it's easy to become dismayed by these events, morally, politically, even economically, that's been occurring in our country and in, in sort of the, the micro and globally in the macro, to understand that for the church, focusing back on teaching and prayer and giving ourselves to evangelism and to worship and giving to the poor and, and certainly discipleship, if we can get back to those key things— then I think God can indeed have us in the position where he can better use us to influence culture and society around us. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about, for example, an era like, uh, you know, the 18th century awakening with Whitfield, yes. you've, you, all, you always have strong, strong preaching. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, you know, apparently didn't have very many sermons, but nobody misunderstood him when he spoke. And he combined, as did Spurgeon in Victorian England, um, a real commitment to the good news, the proclamation of the good news, combined with expressions of good deeds, so that both of them were engaged in in the social um, dimension of their immediate environment, whether it was in Chicago or in London. Both of them were involved with orphanages, and yet they did not for a moment confuse the necessity of people turning to Christ in repentance and faith with uh, the the good and necessary outflow of Christian uh, living that that uh, cares for the, for those who are least and last and left out. If there could be one singular message that is central to your heartbeat, the one message that you'd like to get across to every man and woman who has named Jesus as Lord and Savior, what would that be? Wow. Oh, well, I, I think. I, if I just apply it to myself, I mean, I, I think to fully understand that, you know, when Paul says one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to understand that, that he's not talking there about that being an expression of devotion. He's talking about being a, an expression of his identity, that what he's saying there is that this, that this Jesus, as the apostles did post-Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, God has made him both Lord and King. And therefore, I have no freedom to believe anything other than what he teaches me. And what he teaches me is left for me in the Scriptures. And I have no freedom to behave in any other way than that for which, uh, to which I'm called. And that then, you know, impacts every area of our lives, uh, our vocation, our sexuality, our marriages, our singleness, whatever it might be. And, you know, then then we have an opportunity to uh, to speak to people. And, and often, uh, you know, the, the attractiveness of it uh, ought to be found in the loveliness of Christ, mm. the compassion of Christ, the patience of Christ. And I think so often... If you if you take for example, and sometimes the media has branded us in this way, and a few crazy people have have led to it, but but I think we do have to face the fact that we often come across as a rather disgruntled and angry bunch of people, uh, as opposed to uh, a people who say that they have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
Yeah, you're right. It's often interesting if you talk to non-believers um, and get their opinion about Christians. Uh, they can give you a long list, a big litany of what it is that we are against. Right. And then when you ask them, can you tell us what Christians are for? There's silence. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that speaks volumes, certainly. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I you know, if you think about Jesus with the woman at the well, you know, what a, what a conversation starts. May I have a drink of water, please? You know, he doesn't... He he eventually gets to the point, you know, when he asks her to call her husband, and and she admits that, you know, she's had a number of husbands and she has a live-in lover. But that's not what that's not what he starts with. I mean, he's not sitting at the well with a big sign condemning, you know, her uh, her multiple relationships. He he starts by uh, simply engaging her in conversation. Maybe we as the church can learn a lot from that example, that we might be better to engage the culture and society around us for the sake of the gospel by simply beginning with engaging others in conversation and, of course, ultimately understanding what it means to be a disciple, to count the cost. We sure appreciate your time, your faithfulness to the Lord, and the caliber and quality of your uh, teaching ministry. Thanks so much again for the time. There's Pastor Alistair Begg. Again, uh, his broadcast is weekday mornings at 730 here on KFAX. And uh, wow, 30 years of ministry at Parkside Church in uh, Cleveland. And what a blessing it is to have him as part of the ministry here at KFAX. And let me just say this. If Alistair's pulpit ministry has been a blessing to you, would you take a moment today and jot him a note? It's not about puffing people up, but, you know, sometimes it's good to know that you're making a difference, that what you're saying and what you're teaching and your heartbeat and your passion for God and for His Word is impacting lives. And if you would take a moment today to drop him a note, I know that he would certainly be blessed and encouraged by that. You can get more information about the ministry at truthforlife.org, truthforlife.org. And our thanks again to Alistair Begg for being with us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, if you go to the average bookstore, and I realize you have to hunt them down these days, but trust me, they still exist. If you go to the church growth section or religious section, depending upon how your bookstore is organized, you'll find shelves there loaded with books on church growth. How to do it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly. But what if the idea of a section of books that took the opposite tenor, that instead of doing it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly, instead taught you how to do it slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate. You'd probably think the books were 90 to 100 years old, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, don't we live in a day and an age when everything that we do fast equates better? I mean, let, let's face it, we, we just, everything we do. The more that we can do, the more rapidly we can do it, that must be good. So if it applies to information, technology, food, cars, the Internet, why not faith? Why not indeed? My guest tonight, I think, would argue that um, fast is not always better. In fact, there's much in terms of the history of the church that would demonstrate just the opposite, that the approach of being slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate also means a church that will be sustainable and a body of believers that will be deep in their faith, in their relationship with Christ. Christopher Smith is the editor of the Inglewood Review of Books and member of the Inglewood uh, Christian Church community outside of um, Indianapolis, co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, Chris, great to have you on the program. 
Thanks, Greg. It's good to be with you. I'm, I'm trying to think the, the pitch to your publisher on this. Uh, <laughs> I, there's got to have been either a stack of rejections or a few people that thought, clearly this guy has either lost his mind or um, uh, needs to have a serious talk with, with somebody, uh, some church growth expert, because we know in 2014, fast is just the only way to do it. Right. Yep. Um, actually, we were pretty fortunate. We found an editor that uh, liked the idea um, from the very outset, and he basically coached us through the the whole the whole process. So uh, we were very fortunate to find find an editor who thinks outside the box. That thinking outside of the box, as much as it might seem to be uh, in terms of the way most of people that are involved in the church growth movement or have a heartbeat for all of this, is in fact not all that outside of the box, is it? In fact, I think there's a lot of of evidence to demonstrate historically that for the bulk of the history of the church, uh, that thoughtful, slow, deep, deliberate approach is exactly what uh, got the church from uh, the time of Christ to where we're at today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a long history of... of, um, of patient persistence uh, in the Christian community. Uh, but it, it tends to be, like you said, kind of more underground. <laughs> Uh, not the mainstream of church history. This movement that we've seen um, that, that seems as if, um, I don't know, it's, it's like franchising the kingdom of God like it were a McDonald's, you know. Sure, absolutely. Let's, let's put them up as quickly as we possibly can. I mean, nobody, and I'm not picking on McDonald's, but, but any fast food restaurant, no serious, thoughtful person who really is a foodie thinks of these locations as a spot for fine dining. We're going to um, walk away with a culinary experience. Uh, we, we know what they are for what they are. You want it fast, quick, uh, that's what you do, that you know that um, it's not going to be the kind of experience um, um, colonistically that you'll be thinking out above or, or sharing with others for years to come. It's seemingly just the opposite of what we want out of church, that we do want it to be something that is going to be deep and meaningful and hopefully profound and sustaining. Uh, and yet I'm, I'm wondering wherein lies then this, this creep toward doing it fast, equating better within the church? Well, I think it's coming from the larger culture. Uh, we've, one of the things that we do in the book is kind of look at the history, look briefly at the history of industrialization uh, and kind of the technological growth over the last 200 years, um, basically during the industrial and now the post-industrial age. Um, and basically, one of the, the side effects of that sort of rise of industry, and there's been, I mean, there's been some great things that have come out of that industry. I mean, many people were uh, saved from really, really uh, hard, back-breaking work uh, through uh, the rise of industry. Uh, but, but one of the things that has happened is that has kind of continued to grow and grow and expand uh, globally is that there's kind of been an expectation for for speed and for convenience uh, that has kind of crept into all of life, um, it, as you mentioned, into the food we eat and how we eat it, and, and also, uh, we argue in the book, into the way that we exist as churches. Um, and, and yeah, and we, uh, I think it's mostly just kind of been uh, a lack of critical, critical thinking and acting um, in the ways that we engage the larger culture uh, that has kind of... Uh, and, it, and again, it's kind of slowly infiltrated our churches. Uh, as you said in your introduction, uh, the church growth movement played a big part in that. And certainly there was, I mean, there was a good intent uh, in the church growth movement uh, of trying to, to grow churches to spread the gospel of Christ and 
bring more people into into our churches. Those are wonderful and noble noble goals. But but because of the culture of uh, industrialization, the culture of speed and efficiency, um, the that that movement uh, became focused more on the numbers than on the depth. Um, and and that's that's the point at which it started to kind of turn and uh, move in a direction that's not not particularly helpful. We think. Well, and and uh, you know, not, not not healthy too in a spiritual standpoint in a lot of ways. I mean, let's face it; at the core, um, all of this dialogue, whether we talk about outreach, evangelism, church growth, um, discipleship, all comes down to one core issue, and that is the business of relationships. Oh, uh, whether we're talking about building relationships interpersonally between uh, family members and husbands and wives and kids and so on and so forth, building relationships with strangers to love them to Christ, ultimately toward the, the the penultimate goal of a restored relationship with the Creator Himself, which is, of course, what He sent His Son to do, that substitutionary work on the cross on our behalf, so that we might be reconciled into a restored relationship with Him. And yet, we look at the world around us, and if anything, it seems to be marked by the notion that lasting relationships are a thing of the past because we move so fast and right. and indeliberately and 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 without a lot of of thought or care and as much as that has been the hallmark of of changing the way relationships are then i get got to be a little bit scary thinking well my goodness if doing it rapid and and uh, um, big and bold has had an impact in, in so many ways on sustainability of relationships. What does it say about the sustainability, so to speak, of our relationship with the very God himself? No, no doubt. And that's, uh, Craig, you've kind of hit on the reason that we actually chose the, the name Slow Church and not just uh, Slow Christianity or Slow Faith. Um, but, but we very intentionally chose the, the, the language of Slow Church because what we believe, like you were, for the reasons that you just stated, that uh, what God has been doing in the world and God continues to do in the world is is largely centered around the gathering of a people. And this is something that began in Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even Jesus, uh, when he started his ministry, uh, came of age and started his ministry, one of the first things that he did was to gather a community of disciples around him. And we believe that it's in community, in our churches, uh, that we that we can start to recover what it means to be in meaningful relationships um, if if we're willing to slow down and be attentive to to what we've been called to be, um, so so yeah, I, I I'm I think you're absolutely right that that relationship is at the heart of what what God is doing in the world and what what the heart of what we're called into as followers of Jesus. So there's a little literal troubling aspect of this, that this rapid results approach that we take today, and it's everywhere, it's pervasive everywhere within culture and, and business and society, and of course it's crept into church, that it seems to be this focus on rapid results at the expense of long-term sustainability. And there's a number of layers in which this becomes very troubling, not only in terms of sustainability, for example, of a new church plant, how many churches come and go and come and go and come and go? And is that really the way God wants us to, to do community if at the core the church is really about the neighborhood or the community? And then the other question is if there is such a profound impact on the sustainability of church, how can we not help but wonder whether or not that might have an impact on the sustainability of our relationship with God? Oh, not that he would flutter or fail, 
<laughs> but that we, from our perspective, might be just inclined to give up at moment's notice. I mean, let's face it, largely in the westernized church, we're, we're not really accustomed to pain or sacrifice or um, agony. In fact, we work very hard to avoid all of that, which is curious because the Bible says much about suffering for our faith and persecution for his namesake. A lot more to talk about. Christopher Smith is with us today. He's co-authored Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll take a brief time out. In fact, let's not take it brief. We'll make it slow. <laughs> We've got traffic. Maybe you've got that slow experience in your life already today. Take a deep breath, and we'll return to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking today with author Chris Smith. He has co-authored with John Pattison a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, this reaches into so many aspects of our faith, of the sustainability of same, not just our faith, but also local congregations, um, the body of Christ. And, you know, I guess in a day and an age, as we've been suggesting, Chris, where we have seen the emphasizing of um, uh, quantity over quality, this has really been uh, almost disastrous at certain levels to every aspect of, of faith within Western Christianity, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really, really broadly reaching. And I mean, and honestly, it's part of the reason that I mean, one of the things that we kind of have experienced ourselves and have seen elsewhere um, is simply that uh, we tend to compartmentalize our faith. Uh, that our faith has become more and more uh, not pertinent to the rest of our life. What we do on Sunday is kind of separate—a separate thing from what goes on. Uh, in our in our home or in, at our office place, um, whatever that may be, um, and, and we we don't think that that's what uh, we have been called into. I mean, we think that God is reconciling all things in Christ, uh, and that that the wisdom of the gospel is is pertinent um, to our to our family life, to our work life, and then part of the problem is that we've kind of uh, kind of fragmented home from work, from church, from uh, from maybe other social activities or whatever, but um, and and those spheres of our lives don't uh, interact with each other very much. Um, and I mean, part of what we're encouraging as we slow down is to to allow God to to heal some of those uh, fragmentations and find ways for for our lives not to be uh, quite so fractured. And that fracture, that fragmentation, seems to be clearly an outgrowth of the emphasis on quantity over quality. I mean, let's face it, if we're left with a choice of either going deeper or going quicker, um, culture today has sort of um, programmed us. We have been uh, uh, almost like Pavlov's dog, trained to respond to the quicker, not realizing how much we're missing in the going deeper. I mean, is it any wonder that we compartmentalize then and we relegate God to a brief hour-long experience on Sunday mornings and maybe for, uh, you know, a half hour or so uh, Wednesdays, if if he's that fortunate, because we don't see the value in the integration of our relationship with the Lord in every aspect of our life and every day of our life, because let's face it, we've never perhaps ever seen the what that means to, to be modeled in front of us. 
sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, part of the part of the reason for that again is the the advertising culture uh, that we're in the midst of that that always uh, encourages encourages us to seek more, more, more. We need we need a new car. We need a new house. We need uh, a vacation. Uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, the advertisers are selling, um, but, but but kind of the collective effect of that is always encouraging us to to desire more, more, more. And what we need, I think, is is a transformation of our desires, um, uh, a transformation to 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 not desire more, but to desire to 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 go deeper in the the relationships that that we already have. Well, and doesn't it become a vicious cycle too? Because the more and more and more that takes us to a more shallower degree it's sort of the the quick high the quick fix um, in life at so many levels becomes terribly unfulfilling I would suspect after a while and so then you're you're motivated to go after more because at the end of the day you're you're trying to to obtain something that that is not a product of the the faster the quicker the more but of the slow and the deliberate and the deep oh absolutely Absolutely. One of the things that we focus on in a chapter later in the book is the the practice of gratitude, of being thankful, and I think that's that's one of the the ways that God has provided for us to kind of resist uh, this or to to um, to start to put us on a journey toward healing and and being transformed out of this culture that always wants more and more and more to to learn to be grateful for for the things that uh, that God has provided for us. Uh, for the relationships that God has provided for us and and the the resources that God has provided us with uh, both as individuals and as congregations um, and and I think if we the the greater uh, the we learn to practice thankfulness gratitude um, I think that we'll start to to see some see some transformation it really comes down to the sense of being grateful which causes you to pause and look at all that is around you. What's the old phrase about stopping to smell the roses? Oh, yeah. And we're, we're rushing down the street, and along the way, uh, we don't have time to capture the sights nor the fragrance because we're just too busy thinking about uh, what we're doing next, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing in 20 minutes. Um, I, I guess the big question is, since that sort of manic approach to life is so inbred in so many of us. I mean, I would wonder, even as we're talking right now, and there are people that are listening to our conversation on the drive home who, even though they recognize the danger and the illegality of browsing text messages, are doing it as we speak because they just can't, simply can't wait to see what that text message might say. How, how do we get off of this roller coaster ride to pause long enough to say we need to do some serious introspection here about our priorities and where we give time? No, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, just that example that you gave of, of checking test ma- te- text messages while you're driving, I mean, that's a that's a potential uh that has the potential of death for for you and and someone and others around you um and uh, it's interesting that the bible i mean kind of talks about uh the connection between uh the way of sin and death and uh, and, and i think that that's i mean part of the consequences of of living too fast um is i mean is ultimately uh death um 
and, and maybe uh, it's not always going to happen. Hopefully, it won't always happen. But but there's always that potential there uh, when we're trying to do too much and not being attentive uh, to what's going on around us, particularly in a culture where we use, like ours today, where we use heavy machinery like cars and and so forth. And I mean, there's the risk. The risk is. Well, there's also, I think, a degree of risk, as I use that as an example, from a spiritual standpoint, because as you talk about in the book, Slow Church, this culture of unreflective speed also means that we might be inclined to just kind of, at the surface, buy into any whim, any uh, doctrine that comes our way, because it sounds okay, or yeah, I've read a little bit of scripture, that seems to be in harmony, and so we don't take the time to research, we're we're not fruit inspectors, we don't test the spirits to see if they are of God, There, there are so many aspects of what we are warned to do in a slow, thoughtful, deliberate fashion from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a relation with Christ standpoint, that is it any wonder that we have not only just a sloppy religion, sloppy relationships, but then uh, so often so many within the church today are just pulled to and fro at any pardon me, any whim of, of false teaching because it's a culture of unreflective speed. I mean, you go into a Christian bookstore, and that that sort of sloppiness is uh, is reflected. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not going to name any particular names, uh, but but that sort of kind of. Uh, I mean, everything from prosperity gospel to uh, uh, self help sorts of stuff. I mean, it's all there, and it's all it's all really not that reflective. Um, it's just kind of a, a quick fix of what will make us feel good. If you've just tuned into our conversation, we're visiting today with Chris Smith, co-author of Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll talk a bit about what this means, how we can slow down the pace, and what the benefits can be, not only in terms of our own um, family well-being and, and mental health, but ultimately for spiritual well-being and the well-being of our communities. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about slow church today, not just the book, but the entire notion. This is the the polar opposite of this uh, fast approach that we've taken to rapid growth that certainly does a lot in terms of of sort of the quick um, flash in the pan, uh, brilliant moment uh, of success, but then, of course, leaves many questions pertaining to the sustainability of not just one's faith, but frankly, of the community of the body of believers. And as we're learning from our guest today, co-author Chris Smith, um, quite frankly, this this rapid, fast sort of the uh, the franchise approach to Christianity doesn't do a lot in terms of um, spiritual depth of individuals, let alone the sustainability of the church. And maybe therein lies the problem, that we're learning that the the rapid results today are, in fact, at the expense of long-term sustainability. Yes, definitely, Craig. I mean, we see that, like you were saying earlier, that church plants uh, tend to have a lifespan of maybe a couple years. And also, I think part of the questions of sustainability, um, one of the questions that doesn't get looked at so much uh, is, is the ways in which uh, churches move uh, from one neighborhood uh, to another, um, and what the what the impact might be of that sort of tr- uh, 
transition uh, on the neighborhoods um, that are left. I mean, I live in an urban neighborhood in, here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of seen the effects, the sort of vacuum that's left uh, when a church uh, or any other institution of business, uh, but, but especially in this case in churches, um, when they move out of a neighborhood. Um, and uh, and it, it can be, it can be uh, pretty powerful, and it's something that churches don't think about a lot, about uh, what, what has happened uh, in the places that they leave behind. Mm. So that loss of commitment to a neighborhood, and oftentimes there's a disaster left behind because then what might have been uh, the only beacon of hope in a particular community, and this certainly has been very true in a lot of inner cities, um, sure. it completely uh, collapses, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It was, it's interesting. Our church, the church I'm part of, Anglo Christian Church here in, Indiana, in the near, urban near east side of Indianapolis, uh, we're 118 years old. Uh, but we've basically been in the same place uh, for for all of that history. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, at kind of a low point in the size of our congregation, the history of our congregation, uh, we ha- were faced with the decision, do we stay in this neighborhood or do we move out uh, to the suburbs where a lot of our members are? And the leaders of the church decided at that point that it was very important for us to stay. And basically for the last 25 years or so since that decision, we've been on a journey of trying to to understand what it means for us to be a church in this place since we made a very intentional decision to stay here. A lot of times churches will move because they feel overwhelmed by many of the problems that are facing a neighborhood and, quite frankly, maybe feel ill-equipped to be able to ascertain what those problems are and to best address them. Uh, But, but, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what we've seen in the recent passing of Robin Williams, who is, um, because of his connection to the San Francisco Bay Area, has been sure. quite a, an ongoing topic here of the last couple of weeks. Uh, some folks might have seen um, comments made uh, the other night by David Letterman, um, who um, knew Robin early on in his career. And uh, Mr. Williams had been a guest on the Letterman show apparently about 50 times down through uh, the the years. And at the end of his very emotional, moving tribute to him, uh, had made a remark about, well, if he'd only knew about how much pain Robin was in. And it dawns on me that we in the church maybe are guilty often of the same thing, that we are too busy and moving too fast to notice when others around us are hurting, the very ones that God would call upon us to bring healing to or hope to or his gospel to. And maybe, you know, what uh, what was remarked by David Letterman last night regarding Robin Williams is indicative of a place where a lot of us in the church are at today. We're just moving too fast to notice those around us that are really hurting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think you're, you're definitely hitting on something there, Craig. Um, that I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to us is that, I mean, you just look at, you talk, we talked about earlier, a little bit earlier about the franchising uh, aspect of it, and you look at a McDonald's or you look at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or whatever, and those, are, those sorts of institutions look pretty much the same whether you're in San Francisco or San Antonio or wherever else. Um, and I think that a lot of times uh, churches can be that way. They can look and feel pretty much the same wherever wherever they are. And, they, and churches have kind of become almost um, uh, unattentive to uh, to the places uh, where they exist. Um, and again, that's part of the, the sort of fragmentation. Uh, churches have come to see themselves as kind of part of spiritual life. Uh, not necessarily engaged in the life of the communities in which they exist. Um, and I, I think that that's, 
I think it's in that sort of engagement with the communities where we exist, where the the wisdom of the gospel is, uh, and the the call to to be peacemakers and all those other sorts of things that that we're called to in Christ. Uh, those, that's where that witness is borne out uh, in in engagement with with our neighbors. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that, that we there are many ways that we've become unaware of the the pain and suffering around us. And, you know, even closer to home, I mean, again, that, that rush means that there's a risk of well-being to family and our own mental health, our own spiritual well-being, because we're not taking the time uh, to go deep enough because uh, we're just not programmed that way. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that I don't, don't want to overstep here, but, but it's interesting to me that there's a correlation uh, between our continuing to move faster and faster and, and the rise in... Uh, mental illness, for instance. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that they're connected, but it's interesting that uh, that they seem to uh, follow very similar uh, curves. Um, Is a lot of this also tied into not just a desire to do things faster and more instantaneous, but also uh, coupled with this indicative of a, a lack of maturity that is uh, m- maybe as a as a watchword, uh, tremendously impatient, and a culture where on an increasing basis we wish to avoid not only work but any pain. I mean, it used to be, you know, a, a good hard day's worth of labor mm-hmm. where you came home with tired muscles and, and completely beat. That was You had a sense of satisfaction and reward about that. And today it, it's almost as if that has shunned. And so if we're not willing to, to exercise our physical muscles and experience a little bit of, you know, stretching pain in the experience, um, I wonder if that's indicative of, of the same thing when it comes to not willing being willing to spirit to exercise our spiritual muscles that we're afraid of avoiding pain in any aspect of life oh yeah absolutely i I think that that's one of the things that we talk about in the book that i mean the way of jesus uh, is the the way of compassion i mean just the incarnation itself of jesus coming to earth uh, was an act of compassion jesus entered into all the pain and suffering and the joys of course too but but the pain and suffering of the human experience and that's what we're called to do uh, with one another in our church congregations and with our neighbors. And I think that what we're seeing, I talked a little bit before about kind of the history of industrialization and how we've become more and more uh, impatient and have more greater and greater expectations for speed. But one of the other effects of it is, like you were saying, that it, it conditions us to, to want to avoid work and suffering. We look at the rise of the, in the mid-20th century, the rise of the quote-unquote labor-saving device. Uh, and that's a one. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that we should not use any sort of electrical gadget or whatever. Uh, but but we do need to be aware of what what the cost of that is, and what if we're saving labor, to what end are we saving labor? Um, and and the effect of that, I believe, is exactly what you were describing. That we it, we're, we are having greater and greater difficulty entering into the the pains and sufferings of others because we've been conditioned to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. And, of course, the irony is that pain and suffering also translates into notions of persecution. Um, and, you know, somehow the notion that we as the church in America are uniquely um, given a pass on the idea of pain and suffering or persecution, when the Scripture, of course, doesn't say that at all. And um, there is a dynamic that speaks quite heavily to uh, that lack of being willing to to suffer for his name's sake, as Chris, Scripture calls us to, indicative, too, of this notion of kind of being uh, uh, 
of the church. That's what's the old saying: ten miles wide and an inch deep. Right. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't think that we should necessarily seek out persecution, but I mean, I think that there are ways that our desires for comfort uh, uh, kind of compromises our willingness to to speak the truth in in difficult situations, uh, whether that's in the public square or in our congregations. Um, and I think that has that has uh, ramifications. Our conversation today with Chris Smith. He is co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. If you are someone who is a uh, student of uh, everything that is fast and rapid and you wish to overemphasize a, a, a quality, quantity rather over quality, this is probably not a book for you. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who would rather not go quicker in your relationship with God but go deeper, then this indeed can be a book that can be a tremendous eye-opener not only for your own relationship with Christ but at the family level and at the community level. The book again, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus, newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores around the Bay Area, not in the rapid church growth section, though, I might add, (laughs) and, of course, on Amazon.com. And our thanks to co-author Chris Smith for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.